Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Justin, and I am also one of the pastors here at the, ch- at the church. Um, Groutmans, you guys set a high bar. You are gospel-centered. When you're so gospel-centered, your child's name is, namesake is the gospel itself. Gospel Carol? How do you beat that? What are you going to do with the next kid? Just name it Jesus, I guess. Well, welcome to Sacred City Church. Um, If you're just joining us, we are in the second week of a new sermon series we're calling Fundamentals. We're going to be spending the next 15 weeks studying the fundamentals of our church. We are trying to put the fun back into fundamentals. So this is a great opportunity for you to hear what we are all about if you're new here. Uh, Last week, we looked at the mission of God, um, that we are here because God has a mission, that we exist because God has a mission to be known, loved, and enjoyed by his creation. If if God didn't have a mission, we wouldn't be here. God created us to know him, love him, and enjoy him forever. Now, that may sound, to some that does sound egotistical, God made us to enjoy him. It's all about him. Well, if that's your uh, mindset, It's because you have a small view of God. God is the source of all goodness, all happiness, all glory, all truth, and all beauty. So to know God is to know the source of the highest, the the definition of goodness and happiness and glory and truth and beauty. This is why the psalmist could say in Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. How much joy? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That God is the source of all joy and all pleasure. And in his presence, we learn that his glory and our joy are inextricably linked together. Now, last week we did something a little different. We went to the last chapters in the Bible and we studied the end result of the mission of God. We learned that the new heavens and the new earth is going to be a lot different than we've been told by our Sunday school teachers and our culture. It's not a spiritual place. We just float around on clouds, rocking harps, right? It's going to be a multicultural place sacred city where God's people dwell with him forever. 
It's going to be absent of religion because the point of all religion is there, God himself. It's going to be absent of all boredom because joy himself is going to be there. It's going to be absent of all sin because God, the Holy One, is going to be there and nothing unclean will be allowed to enter the city, but it is going to be full of good culture, the best humanity had to offer, the best humanity could come up with in their creativity, the best of food, the best of clothes, the best of music, the best of on and on and on we go. Now, I wanted to start this series off like that. I wanted to paint for us a good picture of our future so that we can better understand our calling here in the present. See, we didn't choose the name Sacred City Church because we thought it sounded cool. It was 10 years ago. It wasn't cool back then. Now everybody wants to have city church in their name. They just pick a Bible word and then Gray City Church, Gospel City Church, River City Church, just fill in the blank. We want to be a city church. Well, that's not why we did it. In fact, when we planted this church, I'd never heard of a church called Sacred City. But when I read the, the last, those, that verse or that chapter 21 and 22 in the book of Revelation, that's what I saw as the future of God's church. I saw there a city, the new heavens and the new earth. I saw the new city, the new Jerusalem. I saw a, a city that was devoted to God, a sacred city. So my thinking went, well, if that's what we will be, maybe that is what we should be even now. And last week I said that the church is God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. Now, that's a strange concept for many of us. We've grown up all our life driving by a big pointed building and saying, that's the church. There's the church. We're going to church today, kids. Right? The church is not a building. The church is a people. Now, there is, of course, the, what, what theologians call the universal church. That's everyone who's ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ from all around the world. But the main way the Bible speaks of the church of Jesus Christ is in reference to a localized body of believers who are gathering together regularly. The church is a people, not primarily a place. Several of the books of the New Testament are actually letters written by the apostle Paul, a church planter, and they were addressed to the churches of Galatia. So the churches that met in different parts of Galatia, to the saints in Philippi and Ephesus. Now these letters were not addressed and sent to a building. They were written to a specific group of people who had been saved by God's power and were now gathering together to learn what that salvation was now going to look like in their everyday life. Okay, we're born again. What does it look like to live as a bunch of born again people in God's kingdom in the midst of a broken world? What's that look like? Well, that's what much of the New Testament is all about. The Apostle Paul written into this community to teach them how to live. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The gospel creates a missional community called the church. The gospel creates a missional community called the church. Now, at first, that might not sound very controversial. Okay, cool. But if you take a look at our current cultural 
climate. If you, if you put your fingers on the pulse of most people that live in our country today, Christianity has been reduced down to something that merely saves individuals. All it is, something for a person to believe so they can go to heaven when they die. Christianity has actually been made into a totally different religion that is primarily about private, personal faith and not about being an active part in the body or an active part in a church. What has happened is American individualism has swallowed Christianity and spit out the stuff they don't like. Now let's see if this Americanized Christianity has made its way into our thoughts and our feelings and our minds and what we value and what we love. How do you feel about this statement from a third century bishop, St. Cyprian? He said this, no one can have God as his father who has not the church for his mother. Let me say it another way. If I were to ask you, can I be an obedient Christian and not belong to a church? I would imagine you're gonna, uh, yes, typically, many of us. Well, the Bible's answer is an emphatic no. Not that it's not theoretically possible if you were stranded on an island and you found a Bible there and you read it and you came to faith. Wow, all right. You are the church, okay? Yes, there's no one else there. Start preaching the gospel to the animals, I guess. The birds, the trees, or whatever, I don't know. But that's not the reality. That's not our reality. Now I want, we're gonna go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 first this morning. Um, and we're gonna read the, the words of the Apostle Paul. Before we do, I want to pray for us and ask the Spirit's help. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in our church, that you are doing. We thank you for the work that you've done in just the universe itself by sending your son to live the life that we failed to live and die the death that we deserve, all to give us new life and to bring us into this thing called the church that's moving us forward to the new heavens and the new earth. I pray today that you would help me preach your word, that your word is truth, that your word is our source of life this morning, that it straightens us out. It, we've got crooked thinking that needs to be straightened out. We've got feelings that go off that need to be brought back to center. We've got all kind of intuitions and feelings and assumptions that we bring into um, our reality of, of just the, our experience of you this morning. And we need you to straighten us out and to bring light in the dark places. So would you do that? Would you even do it through me? Um, a man who is just as broken as anybody else and just as sinful as anybody else and who needs your help. I need your help this morning. Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords and would it be um, all of you and none of me, would your people hear your words from your word this morning? Would you do this by your spirit? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you wanna open up your Bibles, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Pretty familiar passage of scripture. We're going to start in verse 12 and I'm going to go ahead and read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, Jesus himself. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. So here Paul is starting an analogy of what the church is, the body of Christ. We see Jews, we see Greek, we see slave, we say free. Basically, it's this diverse body that's been baptized in Christ, and Christ is what unites them. But the analogy he's playing off here is the physical human body, that we have parts to our body, and all of those parts make up one body. Let me keep reading. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear would say, I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, this body metaphor is meant to show us a couple things, a lot of things, but I'm only going to point out two today. First one, a church is meant to be, or is, a community of intimately connected individuals. Intimately connected individuals. The question is, how closely related is your finger to your hand? How closely related are your joints to your flesh, to your bones? How closely related are your organs, right? That's what it should be like. That's what it should feel like to be a part of a church that you are intimately connected in real and vital relationships with other Christian believers. That's what it should feel like. Look at verse 26. I'm gonna skip a chunk and go to verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's what it should feel like to be a part of an, in, an intimately connected church. When a part of the body suffers, we suffer together. Now, obviously that doesn't happen with just individuals. I'll be dare to say that doesn't happen through the internet. That doesn't happen through watching videos at home. If a Christian brother in this church is suffering and you are absent from the body and you're away from the body and you are at home, you don't suffer with them. Nor could you Rejoice with them. But if you're living in a missional community with them, an intimate community, when they suffer, you suffer. When their marriage goes through difficulties, guess what? You're in it with them and you're suffering with them. You're walking with them through that. If their child gets sick or they have a tragedy in the, tra travesty in the family, tragedy, oh, tragedy in the family, you are in it with them. You suffer with them. You carry burdens with them. So first thing we see that that's not some individual thing that, that you could do by yourself. You have to be a part of a community to, to work like a body, right? Secondly, let's look at verse 15. Oh, I'll start in 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, all, we go all the way down to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, look, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. That's the word he uses. Indispensable. A church is an indispensable community of intimately connected individuals. What does indispensable mean? That means if you throw it away, then you are unnecessary. Like if you throw it away, it no longer works. You no longer work. What do I mean by that? To be indispensable means it's absolutely necessary. We say, well, the church is optional. What's important is I believe in Jesus and then the church is optional. If I really want to be intense about this thing, then maybe I'll join a church. If I want to take it to the next level, like I'm more of a JV Christian. I just believe in Jesus and I'm going to get to heaven. If I ever decide to try to make the varsity team, then I'll start going to church. That's not what the apostle Paul says. He says the church is indispensable. Look at what I mean. What happens if you slice off a finger? My dad tried to do that this year. <laughs> tried to slice them all off actually with a chop saw. Just, wanted to just test this theory out. Here's what happens. Guess what? It hurts a lot. The body hurts, right? But guess what? The body goes on. You know what doesn't go on? The fingers. You, cut, you take a body part off, you cut a body part off, the body part dies, the body goes on, as long as it's not the heart or something, right? But, right? The body goes on. See, that's what happens when you, a person comes to faith, they're a part of the body, but they separate themselves from the church, they separate themselves from the body, and they try to do life on their own. They try to walk the walk of faith on their own. They don't have any vitality. They don't have the connection to the body, to the head. Now, it's interesting because 81%, and I think it's probably even higher now. This was a few years back. I think it's even higher now, but Barna says 81% of Americans think that you can be a good Christian without belonging to a church. More than eight out of 10. You can be a good Christian without belonging to a church. I would say even more so now after a year of being through a pandemic and learning that I can just watch some guy from, you know, some famous pastor. I can just watch him at home while I'm laying in bed. No big deal. I don't need to be a part of a church. It's interesting that that kind of experience, though it is like, it's a traumatic thing. Like we had to do what we had to do. And if, if, you're, you know, you know, if you're in a difficult situation and it's better than nothing, but sitting at home really costs us nothing. We never suffer together. We never bear each other's burdens together. We don't walk together. We don't live together. I, what I would say is the idea that I can be a Christian, but not be a part of a church is an opinion that is shaped by our individualism and it's contrary to what the word of God teaches. And the longer you do it, the more your faith will suffer. The colder your heart will become, the more distant you will be. And so I predicted in the summer that many people who have been staying at home and only watching online, and it's really just a comfortable thing to them. It's not because they're in a high risk category or whatever. It's just because it's more comfortable to lay in bed and drink my coffee and listen to it online. Those people actually won't return to church. Why? Because they've been severed from the body in a sense and, that bo and, then, and ultimately they begin to spiritually die. It's just not a big deal anymore. Listen, if you want a religion that will serve you individually, 
but won't put any pressure on you to relate inside of a deep community, you've come to the wrong one. There are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of so-called spiritualities out there that will offer you that. But Jesus is not one of them. Think of it. We've already said it in our profession of faith this morning. God himself is a community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, infinitely relating to one another in love. That tells us a lot of great things about the universe. Number one, love is at the center of it and community is at the center of it. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have been intimately and indispensably connected from eternity past. And therefore, if you want him, you are going to get brought into a community. Now, there are two really great benefits to being brought into a church. And those two benefits correspond, and I think Paul's pointing them out here in 1 Corinthians 12, to two of our greatest problems as individuals. So here's the deal. We have personal problems that need to be solved in community. We have individual issues that need to be worked out inside of the church, and they can't really be worked out outside of the church. Here's what they are. All of us are prone to self-pity. At times, we think that we don't belong, that we're not good enough. We wouldn't be welcomed into that community. We couldn't be a part of that community. And we are also prone to self-righteousness, thinking that we don't need to belong. I can do life and faith on my own. I've got everything that I need. I don't really need that. That's good for some people. If you need that, that's good. It's good for you. You're a little weaker, but that's fine. Whatever, you know? So we're prone to either self-pity, right? Or self-righteousness, looking down our nose at other people, thinking we don't really need other people. But when God saves us through the gospel, the gospel is a community-creating event. Think about it like this. When a husband and wife love each other, get married, have a baby... That act is a community-creating event. When that child comes into the world, they come into a family. They have a father and a mother. It's not just about them. They come into a family. So it is when we are born again. When we are born again, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has saves us, saves us through the gospel and brings us into a family. We show up on the scene not, our, not individuals, we show up on the scene as a part of a family, as a part of a community. Our spiritual community is the church. Now, this reality counters both self-pity and self-righteousness. Self-pity wonders if I'm good enough to belong. Most of the communities that we try to be a part of in the world, you have to earn your way into them somehow. You gotta be able to pay your dues. You gotta be good enough, smart enough, whatever it is. If we're trying to get summa cum laude or if we're trying to get into the golf club, whatever it is, you have to earn your way into it. So we secretly wonder, ah, and we have self-pity and wonder, if I, I don't know if I'm, I'm good enough to join that community. 
Well, the gospel tells us that we've been grafted into the vine. We've been brought into the family because of our perfect older brother earning that position for us, that Jesus went before us and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve for our many sins and was resurrected to the right hand of the Father to send the Holy Spirit to fill us with the spirit of adoption so we could be brought into the family of God, that we get into the church because of the work of Jesus, not because of our own righteousness, our own works. So that, the gospel, counters self-pity. Now I can say I am a part of the church. I am a part of Christ's body. I belong. These are my people. I deserve to be here just like the person next to me. Doesn't matter what kind of income I make. Doesn't matter my education background. Doesn't matter the color of my skin or what neighborhood I'm from or what language I speak. I am a part of the body of Christ because of the work of Jesus on my behalf. So I don't walk around all the time. I've been brought into the family because of the work of Jesus. I belong. These are my people. I'm a part of the body. But it also counters self-righteousness. Because Paul tells us specifically that every body part needs the rest of the body. Right? An eye is no good on its own. Therefore, to the one who thinks that they can be a Christian all by their lonesome without a church, the, bi or the gospel compels them to say, I'm viewing this thing all wrong. I can't walk the walk of faith without the church. I don't have what it takes to be a Christian without a body of believers helping me. Christianity is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And Jesus' team is the church. So the gospel compels those of us who are more self-righteous to say, I need the church. I need the other parts of the body. I can't be the body all on my own. And guess what? Eyeballs don't really care about big toes. Most of us don't really care about big toes. But I remember... A Many years back, I remember best cornerback, special teams player, maybe of all times, Deion Sanders. I remember Deion getting turf toe. And we're like, ah, oh, no big deal. And then Deion Sanders, wasn't Deion Sanders with a hurt toe? Why? Every body part, even the smallest, plays a big impact when you're running, when you're moving, when you're doing all those things. So the gospel compels all of us to say, that person in my missional community, I actually need them, even though they rub me the wrong way. I don't really like their political beliefs and the fact that they share them on Facebook every eight seconds, but God's put them in my life for a reason. God comprised the body as he see, sees fit, it says. That means God has chosen you and placed you in this body for a reason. Yeah, we all don't think the same. We all don't vote the same. We all don't believe all of the details of the faith the same. We got to hold to the gospel and the core. We got to hold to that. But there's a lot of things out there that we're going to disagree on. And guess what? God says it's important that you dwell together in unity with people who are not like you. Think about it. You're part of the body, whatever part you are. You're not like a lot of parts of the body, Right? There's certain parts of the body that you should not want to be. Don't be that guy, all right? I'm just gonna say that. I'm not gonna go into it. I'm just saying, don't be that guy though, okay? 
So we see here that the gospel creates a people who are intimately and indispensably connected to one another. That is what the church looks like. It is not a building. It is the people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God. And as we learned last week, the church, God didn't create the church and then go, but what should I have them do? Give them a mission. They need something to do or they're gonna be really bored until eternity. No, God has a mission and therefore his mission has a church. The church doesn't have a mission as much as God's mission has a church because God has a mission to be known. He has a church that is sent to make him known in the world, that people are meant to come to know God by meeting his church, by meeting his body, by interacting with his body. Now that we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 the text that was read for us this morning. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus while he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And in the third chapter, Paul tells his readers at least five times that he is where he is because he was a recipient of divine grace. I'm in prison by grace, he says. That, what does it mean? Grace is you've been given a divine gift. You've been given a gift from God. You didn't earn it. It was a gift of grace. He says, I'm a prisoner by grace. I'm a minister of the gospel by grace. I'm a herald of the good news. I'm preaching the mysteries of Christ by grace. I am a saint by grace. All of these things are by grace. Now, why would Paul from prison be so redundant to go grace, 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 grace in one little chapter, one little paragraph. Paul understood that whatever comes into his life is in some way a providential gift of grace from Jesus, even prison. The emperor Nero might have been the one giving the order to lock him up, but Paul knows that all authority in heaven and earth has already been given to Jesus Christ. And so he didn't receive this at just angry at Nero. He's like, oh, I'm a prisoner by grace. God's got me here for a purpose. God's got me here for a reason. Paul has been so changed by the gospel that he can see God's gracious fingerprints even in his imprisonment. And he's okay with that. Paul realizes, let me connect it back to last week. Paul realizes he's a character in the bigger story. Paul realizes that he's been written into the story of God and he's got a part to play and that part right now involves prison. Right now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be faithful to what God has given me and I'm gonna preach the gospel from a prison cell and you know what? He's okay with that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three, verse seven. Because it's in this situation that Paul says something quite remarkable. He says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. 
See, remember when I say that we're all characters written into the story of God and we need to realize that? Paul was one of the chief examples of that. Paul had his life story written out and God goes, <laughs> no, no, this isn't about you. You're in my story now. And you're on, he's like, he just literally switched teams. Paul woke up with a different jersey on that day. Realized I'm on God's team now. I guess I'll preach the gospel, okay? Keep reading. How the mystery... This is the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the new heavens, the new earth, the multicultural new city of God. Whereas to me, though, I'm very least, I mean, the gift of God's, which has given me the working of his power. To me, though, I'm a very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So here's what's going on. Paul was a Jew. The mystery had been revealed that God's future was a multicultural future. It wasn't just a monocultural future. It wasn't just the Jewish people anymore. God had a plan from all time to engraft all the nations of the world into his church, that, it was a, that the future coming kingdom is a multicultural sacred city. And God opened his eyes and showed him this, even though he was a strict Jew that would have nothing to do with Gentiles. Paul said, okay, story's changed. My eyes have been opened. I'm a character in the story of God. It's not just a Jewish thing anymore. It's bigger than just my culture. Okay, that's the mystery. Grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Look at this, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Manifold means many-sided, many dimensions, many-faceted. The gospel is not just the way to save individuals. Does it save individuals? Yes, that's one facet of the gospel. But there's um, um, other facets of the gospel that we must turn that diamond and look at other facets. The gospel is also about grafting individuals into a community called the church to show off God's grace. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Do you see that? Through the church, the church, the diverse community of the church is meant to display the manifold wisdom of God right now in the world. What is it about the mystery of the new heavens and the new earth that are coming? Here's what Paul is saying. The glory of the gospel is seen both in the conversion of the individual, but even more so in the diversity and unity of the local church. The church is the place where diverse individuals live in community with one another. Let me read theologian John Stott says this, the church as a multiracial Multicultural community is like a beautiful tapestry. 
Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. And look at verse 11. This crazy diverse, crazy united church, intimately and indispensably woven together, was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says this church was God's point all along. This was his plan all along. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting, this is what I mean by mission isn't necessarily something we do. It's who we are. We are God's masterpiece, his workmanship, his poema. That's the word in the Greek. It means poem. We are God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. Our very presence in the world is proof that he is at work reconciling sinners to himself. Think about it. We are God's missionary people. We are God's missional community. We are evidence that he is saving people, that he is building his church and he is moving us toward our final destinations in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, what's interesting, this gives me a lot of hope in the midst of all the chaos of our world right now. Churches being shut down and people not coming to church and, and our culture being very antagonistic towards Christians and towards our faith. Look what Paul says in verse 10. Let's go back to verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, look, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, that's an interesting phrase. He says, the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, who are they? Well, they are the ones challenging Jesus's rule and reign. Jesus has already come accomplished. He's realized it, it says there. And Jesus has already accomplished our salvation. He's already accomplished everything necessary to bring about the new heavens and the new earth that's on its way. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God right now in the control room of the universe, working all things out to bring in that future new heavens and new earth. But there are still aspects of God's creation that are in rebellion to him, that are fighting against him, that are enemies of Christ. Of course, there are still people in rebellion to God. They don't want anything to do with him. They want to be gods over their own life. They want to act like they're their, their own creator and live life they, the way they see fit. But there's more than that. Later, Paul says in Ephesians, quote, our fight is not with flesh and blood, Listen, it's not against 
Republicans and Democrats and libertarians and liberals and conservatives and on and on and we go. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul talks about the spiritual stuff going on twice in the book of Ephesians. So Paul here is talking both talking about two things. He's talking about spiritual creatures like literal demons and evil spirits, but he's also talking about ideologies. Think like the spirit of the age. Why is everything getting canceled right now? There's a spirit of the age that's out there. And also human institutions that are led by, quote, antichrists. Now, I don't mean antichrist like some one epic figure that's coming, but anyone whose purposes are set against the purpose of Jesus. Anyone who's trying to go, go against God's plan for the final renewal of the heavens and the new earth and his plan for the church. Paul's saying that diverse, united church of Jesus Christ by its mere existence shows off God's wisdom and grace. This was true then when Paul was in prison and they were in fear of being imprisoned and persecuted. And this is true now when our society has decided that it no longer welcomes Christianity and it threatens to cancel us out of many of our own institutions. The institutions that we founded, Christian institutions, are now we're threatened to be canceled out of them. Why? Because the powers of this world are being threatened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've always been threatened. This is why Nero tried to persecute the Christians. It's always been a threat. The cosmic power of Christ and the presence of the church will diverse people can come together and dwell together in unity. It's always a judgment on the world. We can do what they can't do because we have the power of the spirit of God at work through grace in our midst. We can be united when everybody else gets canceled, when everybody else gets divided. Why? Because Jesus is the one building his church and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 2,000 years of people wanting to cancel us. Good luck. It's never happened. I love one of the saints that said, all you can do is kill us. That's all you can do. Guess what? That's like warp speed to where we want to go, baby. <laughs> the powers are threatened. Jesus has already dethroned them and their time is short. Says this according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus told us, I will build my church and the gates of hell. I will build my church, not a bunch of individuals. The safe place is in the body of Christ. The enemy, enemy warfare 101, you pick, off the one, you pick off the stragglers, you pick off the ones that are away from the pack. 
Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because God has a mission to be known, loved, and enjoyed. And that mission is being accomplished right now through his church. Until the mission is realized, the church will be a reality. The church will be here until the mission is realized, until the mission is finished. So if you want to be in on God's mission that's headed to the new heavens and the new earth, you've got to be in on his church. So what's the steps for us this morning? The steps are believe the gospel. When you believe the gospel, you get grafted in to this new community. You now live as a part of this church. If you're part of this church, join a missional community where you can bear each other's burdens, where you can be an active and intimate and indispensably connected body of believers living in this dark world. If you're already doing that, become a member of this church. Join us on mission to our cities. We are a city set on a hill. Its light cannot be hidden. I know we're all worried that the world is getting darker. It seems like it is. Our own cities seem to be getting darker. You can't turn on the news without another pedophile, another murder, another shots fired, another all of this stuff going on. It does seem to be getting darker. That's what Jesus said was going to happen when people reject God. But guess what? The darker it gets out there, the brighter the light of this community will look in this city. So we live as God's society, all by grace in this community here. And we welcome you in. If you're on the outside, you're checking us out, we welcome you in. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this story that you've written. Have you written us into it? But we're not just solo actors in this story. We've been written in as a part of your body, as a part of your community, as this little society of light, sustained only by your grace. We thank you for the work you've done to bring us into it, we thank you for the work that you continually do to keep us in it because we still sin, we still fall short, we still fail often, but your grace reminds us that you've given us the righteousness of Christ and that we have been brought into this body so we belong. Father, those of us who are more bent towards self-righteousness and thinking, I don't really need the church, would you speak your word to them this morning? Would they, would they be humbled and would they begin to see that the gift of grace that it is to have other people that love and care for them and that need their love and care, that they're a part of a, of a body. And God, would you just do what you promised you'd do? Keep us, protect us, deliver us to the new heavens and new earth, and let those who sit in darkness see your great light. Let them sense your presence in our gatherings. Let them feel the power of the gospel in our missional communities. Would you draw those who are outside of this community into this community and let them experience the eternal joy that is to be called your children. As we come to the table this morning, we're reminded that you wanted us to taste this goodness and taste this reality, not just hear about it. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, that it was depicting his flesh that would be torn open on the cross to pay for our sins. And 
took the cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant that those that drink it will no longer be judged based upon their own actions and their own sin under the old covenant, but they'll be judged under the actions of Jesus under the new covenant that we are now in Christ. We are in his body and we are welcomed in because Jesus has earned that for us. Father, we eat this and we drink this every time we're together to proclaim your death, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the resurrection, to proclaim the beauty that it is to be a part of your unique, diverse, united church here. So would you bless us and meet us here in the table as you've already promised to do through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.